Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Presented by Bridge Bank. Be bold, venture wisely. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, box gets put in a box and how superheroes saved Lego. But first, Walmart unloads. So yesterday, America's largest physical retailer made several major changes to its firearms policies, one month after the mass shooting inside its El Paso, Texas store. The moves included first discontinuing sales of short barrel rifle ammunition and handgun ammunition. Two, ending handgun sales in Alaska, which was the last remaining place where Walmart sold them. Three, asking shoppers to stop openly carrying firearms in states where it's legal, although that's just a request, not a demand. And fourth, Walmart plans to share its firearms compliance controls, kind of its tech platform, with other retailers free of charge. Why all of this matters is that Walmart today is the nation's largest ammunition retailer with around a 20% market share. So these changes could make it harder for gun owners to fill their chambers. And that does indeed include potential mass shooters. But maybe more importantly, this is the latest high profile situation in which a U.S. company is wading into policy waters. Now, some pundits have claimed that Walmart is simply making a strategic business decision here, not a political one. But that's belied by the fact that Walmart CEO Doug McMillan specifically in his letter yesterday asked elected officials to strengthen national background checks and implement red flag laws. The bottom line, Walmart is largely exiting the gun business, but in doing so is entering the gun control debate. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Bloomberg retail reporter Sarah Halzik. But first, this. The Equity Fund Resources Group at Bridge Bank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Offering banking services for funds, partners, and their portfolio companies, Bridge Bank's financial solutions are designed for the entire innovation ecosystem and include creative credit solutions, robust treasury and cash management capabilities, and a suite of international banking products. Bridge Bank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Bloomberg business reporter Sarah Halzik. Do you sense that yesterday's decision was mostly prompted by outside pressures or by internal employee pressures after the multiple shootings? Combination of the two? I think combination of the two. For one, this particular spasm of violence really landed right at Walmart's doorstep, right? The shooting took place within one of its stores. And it's important to remember that only a few days earlier, Walmart had suffered another shooting at one of its Mississippi stores where one employee shot and killed two other employees. So I think this was feeling particularly close to home. And of course, outside momentum on this issue does appear to be changing. Walmart was kind of the largest single retailer of ammunition in the country by market share. But from your perspective, are firearm sales kind of broadly, including ammo, is it a major part of Walmart's business or is it a pretty small one that the dropping doesn't really impact the bottom line much? Yeah, it's a pretty small part of their overall sales and bottom line. So in that sense, this is not a terribly difficult decision, right? I think where it gets difficult is that Walmart's heritage is so much in rural America. Its founder, Sam Walton, was a really avid hunter. In fact, like part of the Walmart lore is that he chose Northwest Arkansas in part because it had access to four different hunting seasons, right? It was near the state lines of Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Kansas. He could hunt everywhere he wanted. So this is really something that's in the DNA of Walmart and has been for some time. And so I think doing anything that might alienate a rural shopper or posited as moving away from that ethos is a difficult decision for Walmart. Not to be too cynical here, but one of the arguments kind of, or I don't know if you want to say arguments for Walmart, but certainly one of the characteristics of Walmart is that in a lot of those rural communities, it is the only retailer. So it's not that you've got, you know, 10 different places you could buy a hunting rifle from. It is Walmart. That still applies, right? In a lot of cases. 
I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's what we see over and over again with these sort of collisions of politics in retail, is that at the end of the day, shoppers end up choosing the most convenient option. The thing that is, you know, has the best price or is the easiest store for them to get to. And I think these conflagrations end up sort of shaping their purchasing decisions for only a very short period of time. And particularly with Walmart, where it is, you know, such a destination for all kinds of purchases as a big box store. And as you said, is often the anchor of rural community retail. I just don't anticipate this having a big impact on their sales. Can you help me square one thing here? So Walmart's basically saying on certain items that it's decided to stop selling, that's really a public policy issue is the reason. For example, when it talks about some of the ammunition, it says, yes, this can be used for hunting rifles, but in theory, not even in theory, in reality, it also could be used kind of in these AR-15 clips, you know, these, these larger clips. So that's why we're not selling them anymore. But at the same time, they're going to sell through their existing inventory. If Walmart thinks this stuff shouldn't be sold, why is it continuing to sell it? It's a good question, and one that I'm, I'm not sure that I can answer. I think that it's probably just trying to do the prudent thing for its shareholders and kind of move through that inventory and hope that the broader gesture of saying, hey, uh, this is the direction we're going, will be satisfying enough for consumers who are looking for it to take action on this issue. Were you surprised, at least I was surprised, let me put it that way, and then I will ask if you were, in the letter that Doug McMillan, the CEO, put out yesterday, after laying out all the steps that Walmart was planning to take, he also made some public policy prescriptions and basically said, hey, Congress, we would like you to close uh, gun show loopholes, for example, in terms of private sales and some other things. Were you surprised that he took a step beyond just what Walmart can do with Walmart? I was surprised by that. In fact, that was the most surprising thing to me in the announcement because the specific steps it took are pretty consistent with the kinds of gradual incremental things we've seen Walmart do on this issue in the past. So, you know, in 2015, it stopped selling assault rifles. In 2018, it raised the minimum age to buy firearms. These kind of gradual things, right? But the policy prescriptions were interesting, and this is the place where I have the most questions. What I really wonder is, is this the last time we're going to hear anything forceful from Walmart on this issue? Or is it really going to start talking about this issue more, even when it fades from the headlines? And if so, that could be really powerful. It's the Fortune One company, right? And having that voice in the mix might provide a new and important source of pressure for lawmakers on this topic. Well, lawmakers and other companies, right? Because of New York Times, Andrew Ross Sorkin's argument on this with Walmart has always been, yes, it could stop selling certain sorts of ammunition and firearms, which it's now doing. But it also is a huge partner to other companies on, say, the Fortune 20 list, you know, big financial companies, credit cards companies, etc. If Walmart really, really wanted to put its thumb on the scale here, it could pressure its partners to stop doing business with other gun retailers and manufacturers. Sure, it could absolutely do that. But, you know, enough could happen just by the sheer example of what it's doing because its scale is so massive. You know, I think back to uh, several years ago when the economy was heating up and Walmart raised its minimum wage, right? It moved in that direction and said, hey, the labor market's tight. This is something we've got to do to recruit the best talent. And we're now at a point where, some of my colleagues reported back in August, retail wages are at a 15-year high. And Walmart is part of the reason for that, is that everybody else... Uh, by the sheer example of Walmart and the competition of Walmart felt pressure to step up their game on wages, including Target and, and others. And so surely by Walmart taking this action, yes, it could put direct pressure on partners to join it in this effort, but its sheer example could do plenty to sort of change where corporate America is going on this issue. Final question for you, Sarah. Does this decision by Walmart from a competitive standpoint, look obviously good for the local, you know, small mom and pop gun dealer who, who's, you know, in the same 
block or the same neighborhood as a Walmart. Broader, though, when it comes to whether it be big box retailers or other national or regional retailers, does this create a bigger opportunity for someone? In other words, does someone, if not completely step into Walmart's shoes, at least take a big piece of that business Walmart's giving away? No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think there's uh, any one company that will be a particular beneficiary of this. The firearms market is really fragmented. Thank you so much, Sarah Halzik, Bloomberg Retail Reporter. Thanks for joining us. My final two right after this. The equity fund resource group at Bridge Bank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Leveraging nearly two decades of expertise delivering solutions to emerging technology and growth companies, BridgeBank now offers services for funds, SBICs, and general partners including creative credit solutions, robust treasury management capabilities, and a suite of international banking services. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Be bold, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Box, the online file storage and management company that competes with everyone from Microsoft to similarly named Dropbox. So yesterday, an activist investment firm called Starboard Value disclosed a 7.5% stake in the company, making it the third largest shareholder. Starboard didn't disclose its plans, basically just saying the stock was undervalued. But Starboard has a habit of pushing for companies to sell and if pushed back on, then launching proxy battles. Just ask Yahoo. Why it matters is that Box originally had what's known as a dual class stock structure, whereby the CEO basically controls the vote despite having a relatively small ownership percentage. It's very common in Silicon Valley, but corporate governance critics have long opposed dual class shares. And Box sided with them last year by dropping that second class. Now though, Box is finding itself in the very sort of activist situation the dual class shares were designed to protect against in the first place. And it might be much harder for those good governance folks to convince other tech companies to take the same risk. And finally, Lego has returned to strong revenue growth after a fiscal 2017 that had stopped the Danish toy makers decades long hot streak. According to Reuters, the rebound is largely due to models and sets from Marvel's Avengers movies, particularly online and in China. Or put another way, Captain America might have saved playtime for millions of kids. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Lily Wimberly, have a great National Wildlife Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.